Hi, everyone. We have a treat today. We have two lovely ladies, Linda Madero and Nellie Copper. And uh, Linda is a spiritual director and teacher of Sati Sangha, an online meditation community. Nellie is a psychotherapist who integrates Buddhist psychology into her clinical work. And they have written together a new book called Reflective Meditation, Cultivating Kindness and Curiosity in the Buddhist Company. Did I get that right, girls? Yes. Good. So we are going to do something different. Nellie and Linda are going to read some excerpts from their book. Go ahead. Who wants to start? I guess it's going to, oh, we're, I can't show the book on screen because we're in the Okay, yeah. But just imagine you're looking at a beautiful cover of a book now. I love the cover. It was um, done by an artist friend of ours in Australia. Mm. Thanks for having us, Mimi. And you're right. Um, what we are planning to do is a little different from a normal podcast, right, where we have a conversation uh, we're going to read from our book, and Nellie and I will have the main conversation. Um, and we chose two sections of of the book. Uh, Nellie, come on in. I can see you're about to say something here. <laughs> um, and we were going to start with the section about power. It's such a big issue. It's a big issue um, in our world, in international politics, but also in our homes um, and in our relationships. So, um, and in Buddhist meditation communities as well. Right. And it's often spoken about as an afterthought. So we really, we put it at the front of the book. We really wanted to talk about it right away. Okay. Because power is complex. Power hits at the most basic human and animal instincts. Our need to survive and thrive. Embedded in power dynamics is competition and scarcity, along with a view of our separateness. Some people think power is a bad thing. They only consider what happens when people take power over others. Other people think power is a bad thing because they can't imagine themselves as empowered. They have felt like victims or survivors for much of their lives, and they can't perceive this otherwise. Often the very same people gain power by lauding their powerlessness. Then there are people, other people who are so intoxicated by power that they can't perceive it. Wow, this is complicated. We did spell out a lot of different angles on it, right? Right, and that's, I think that's not atypical of our practice of the reflective meditation practice is that we're trying to look at the different angles of a situation or of a topic to fill them out more, that this is a way we learn and explore um, something together. Yeah, and um the last sentence that we read, I feel like I want to work backwards. Um, this was very meaningful when I really got the word intoxicated, that power is actually intoxicating. And just like any other um, drug, alcohol that we may take 
when we're intoxicated, our judgment um, becomes eroded. It's not surprising um, that that word lands <clears throat> with the two of us. Um, in Buddhist um, philosophy, one of the precepts is that we don't uh, we we don't or we use intoxicants wisely, and so power when it is just you know a run on and intoxicated version of power, um, it's really something we're trying to restrain and not not feed. Uh -huh. Exactly, exactly, and use wisely because that's the other side of it to just not take your power to assume you're powerless and not make the, take the actions you need to take that will have beneficial outcomes or hopefully um, beneficial outcomes is another misuse mm -hmm. of powerlessness in this case. Right, right, right. And that that's um this kind of, you know, powerlessness versus feeling powerful or empowered. We're really trying to look at when that's happening with us. So part of the reflective pro practice that we do with reflective meditation is we look at situations in the meditation sitting and we can see where we've been more intoxicated or in the empowerment was, you know, more the right amount um, that was really, you know, something that was necessary to get things done. Yeah, yeah. So the question what when you're talking about reflective meditation meditation and reflection what exactly do you mean by that because i'm a newbie to this so you have to give me simple terms <laughs> excellent um we coined that name for our practice because i mean the most simple terms what we do is first we meditate and then we look back at what happened during our meditation, or in other, in other words, we reflect upon what happened in our meditation. Oh, all right, good. It's a good question, Mimi, because most people are used to a type of meditation where they're guided and told what to do while they're sitting quietly or you know holding um, a, a certain posture. And the practice that we've um, that we lean towards is to have silent meditation, where people sit with their own thoughts and feelings and sensations, and are receptive to whatever's going on at the time that they're meditating, and then reflect on what happened. Uh, okay, got it. And moving beyond the simple, we can easily I can easily tie this back to power, because if someone's being guided the guide clearly has more power mm. over the process of what happens in that person's meditation. Mm -hmm. And the person is silent and then looking back on it, they have more power to see what works for them, to see how things went, to see how they might do it the same or differently next time. Wow. Nice tie in, Nellie. <laughs> Uh, maybe we should go back to the reading now, if that works. That sounds good. Do you want to read a chapter from your book? Yeah, we'll good. continue. Actually, we had started the, the section. Um, so I'll, I'll pick up the next paragraph. 
Okay, power can work in devious ways. Ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> Sometimes intentional, but more often it operates below the surface of awareness. We know we have power as Dharma teachers, as the initiators of reflective meditation, and as the writers of this book. We want our views to influence you, but we don't want them to dominate your perspectives, your own perspectives. We want them to integrate into what you know from your experience. While we have this intention, we can't always make it happen this way. We could say that might be our um, uh, slogan there, uh, what you know from your own experience, learning, integrating from what you know from your own experience. Yeah, right. We're writing about power early in the book because we want to reveal as much as we can about the power dynamics at play to its readers and disclose the power we have as writers. As a reader of this book, you have some inherent power. You can put this book down at any time. You can read whatever you want and not read what you don't want. You can interpret it idiosyncratically. You can return the book to the library or alternately ask your librarian to buy a copy for its shelves. You can argue with us out loud, even curse at us without fear of consequences. <laughs> but you do have to get the book first to do yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> True. So we'd like you to get the book because we're really interested in conversations about what we've written about. Um, and we hope that people will be interested in exploring their experience as part of a meditation practice. Yeah, and I know that's important to a writer because uh, for my book, my memoir, Raised by Wolves, Trapped by Demons, when I see reviews, and they tell me how they relate it to certain of my experiences and how they got hope knowing that feeling powerless in that moment, that there is a point where you can regain your power. So it's very important that the author hears that. That's what I think you're saying. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I didn't mean okay. to stop your flow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. As writers of the book, we have some inherent power. We are writing about what we think matters. We're writing it in a way that fits with what we believe is helpful, kind, and realistic. We're putting our views out about the Dharma, picking and choosing from teachings. And by the way, that's what all teachers do, at least to some extent. Um, I want to say something here, which is that also, you know, we're having, we are putting it out in the form of conversations, just like what we're doing right now. Yes. That is how we. Um, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is how we learn from one another. Yes. I love the definition of power as the ability to act. By contrast, powerlessness is the inability to act. Though there is also passive aggression, which is unconsciously enacted by those who feel 
powerless. Let's normalize this. Dare I say, power dynamics are inherent in all relationships, certainly in sanghas or communities. Teachers of Dharma and meditation are commonly elevated and perceived to have superior powers. Some people see these supposed powers as fruits of a long practice. It's stated right there in the teachings of the Buddha that he developed superhuman powers. Naturally, we're tempted to assume or hope or imagine or project that our teachers also have these superhuman powers. What a deep-seated fantasy that we could finally find someone or something that would elevate us above our human dilemmas. Mm -hmm. And even necessary, right? We talk about that as a developmental process that at a time we need to see somebody that has more understanding or the qualities that we want or meets our aspiration to get us started or to, to follow, to, to have some of those fantasies engaged, but they can't last forever. Right. The solution that often follows. Or the term falling off the pedestal. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like this is a wonderful book for um, beginners of doing meditation. Because I know for myself, I always felt that guided meditation was the only thing that I could do. In the silent meditation, my mind was just like a monkey jumping up and down. So you talk about that, correct? Right, right we do. We, we talk about how we like monkeys. Um, and part <laughs> of it is helping other people like the monkeys in their mind or, or be with them or yeah. tolerate them or you know th this kind of friendliness that you can have towards let's say the way your mind naturally is right and, and when you do that what changes you know what mm. changes when you can be with your mind as it is without trying to corral it so mm. much well one thing that changes i believe is you get more friendly towards yourself and that's a big deal mm. because a lot of people are harsh with themselves true you're right you're your worst enemy your biggest critic mm -hmm. right and so to just think about that, just being friendly with what's going on in your mind, that's like, it's actually a profound way to develop um, more caring and friendliness towards yourself. Right. And another aspect that I want to mention, Mimi, is that, yes, guided meditations are usually ways to settle the mind. I mean, there's more but for the moment. Um, let's just look at that, which is, and it's true, it does, for some beginners, take a while till the mind settles, but it will. Okay. Or the maybe school. After, maybe after sucks. I read your book. <laughs> yes, that might help. Indeed. I just started, I have it, I just started it, but it sounds promising for me. <laughs> good. Good. But, good. Thanks. Hear how it goes. <laughs> I mean, well, I'll let you know. Go on. I think you're up, Nellie, for the next Okay. Um, then there is the path of devotion, of subservience, um, the bows of respect. They enact the power dynamics at play. The lead teacher, the monk or nun, the venerable, inherently has the power. 
Mostly they use it for their students' benefits, but it is so easy for the elevated teacher to use and abuse this elevation for their own benefit. Because in the end, they are human and susceptible to the misuse of power. Just have to add in there, um, you know, we say monks and nuns, but really the, the hierarchy is so extreme in Asia. You know, the monks have, the, the nuns are really scraping by and the monks have so much more money given to them and their, their monasteries are so much more well. It sounds like the man versus woman in every country, right? Well, the man is exactly. elevated just because he's a man. That's what exactly. I heard. Yeah, that's about it. Mm. Well, it's also interesting because I think in secular traditions, they often have, um, uh, we are getting more women actually that are starting to teach. And th this has become, um, I'd say a trend that, uh, and, and that will lead into our next section. But um, the women, um, Basically, um, I don't, oh, I wasn't going in the women direction. I'm sorry. I, I wanted to go more in the, whoever sits up there on that seat is susceptible to the intoxication. Mm. And that, that is something that, you know, um, mm -hmm. power feels good. It just feels really good yeah. when you have power, a man or a woman. Right. Um, and that there is something about that and wanting to continue that and then having to kind of temper it. Yeah. Um, that's that's a practice is what we're trying to get at. I'm thinking of that quote, with power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's what we're talking about. Yep. And from the Buddhist angle, a lot of awareness to just even know what's going on and then to right. behave responsibly. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That is really the angle that I would say underpins the practice is a lot of times this is unconsciously done and not so not so intentional or certain you know um, linear so to speak we're really looking at some things that are unconscious that come out sideways that we don't really understand why did we act like that or why did they act like that and starting to um, explore what power does to people, how it feels on both ends, gives us a little bit of inroad on some of our relationships and, and also the relationships to how we're learning meditation. Um, who's the teacher? Who's the student? Who's the writer? Who's the reader? There's power in all of those dynamics. And then I will read the last paragraph of this section. Peer groups hope to equalize power. But what often occurs are subterranean power plays. Power dynamics in peer groups need greater awareness and more willingness to address the subtleties. Yeah, true. Yeah, we could say a lot more about that. Um, well, go ahead, <laughs> John. <laughs> I, I'm debating whether to go into that or to go into the next section, which we're um, really kind of touching upon uh, our practice and, and the values of our practice. What do you think, Nellie? I think we should go on, is what I yeah. think. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so our next section, which we follow um, the, the section on power, uh, we titled it Feministic. Oh, I like that. 
Yeah, we liked it as a, a adjective rather than a noun. I think I've got my grammar right there. Rather yeah. than feminism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Process to be feministic. Mm. And here we'll read a voice from our community. And actually, um, this is the term we got from the community. Actually, they, this was a, an observation about our practice that it was feministic. Um, mm -hmm. Is that right, Nellie? Absolutely, and it was like we were too close to the situation to even yeah. perceive it that way, but somebody who wasn't quite as involved was able to see it as, oh, what you're doing is so feminist. So, <laughs> so they weren't saying it as a compliment. <laughs> no, they were. Oh, they were? Oh, well, oh that's good were. then. Okay. Oh, but, yes, absolutely. Because I see it positively. Yeah, no, they were too as well. Okay, so these are, these are uh, their words. After a split happened in our former Sangha around abuse of power, I saw strong feminist principles and values come into play. Now, not that we are without hierarchy, but power is more transparent and there is a clear naming of how power works and how to address it how that power is used so that it's non-abusive. These values are embedded in our code of ethics. What I have seen with female leadership acknowledging these values is a shift in our practice. Although gender discernments get muddy, I think there is a woman's way of knowing and understanding. There's a sense that, th that this is growing in our Sangha. All right, shall I continue on then? Yes, please. Feminist principles arise and pass away. They have been integrated into religious traditions and secular movements alike. Not only do we value these principles, we intentionally make them dominant conditions for practice in reflective meditation. We chose the word feministic for a couple of reasons. It's an adjective, a descriptive word for our practice. And we aren't specifically addressing feminism, a political movement that advocates for women's rights. Though the feministic values in our meditative instructions and process pay homage to the feminist thinkers and movements, we ex also acknowledge the countless women and men who have softened the patriarchal edges of Buddhism. Oh, wow, that's, that's quite a statement. You know, it is. And one of the things um, Nellie ha has been a part of uh, for over 40 years with this practice is you've had mostly women teachers. And even in the day when women teachers were not that prominent. Oh, I had to search them out. That's for yeah. sure. And, the, you know, and the teacher I found was not a great fit in certain ways, but um, I wasn't you know, I wasn't going to learn from a man, so I sought them out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll jump in here with the next paragraph. What are the feministic values embedded in our practice and code of ethics? Here they are. Gentleness, receptivity, a relational approach, inclusivity, 
responsible and transparent use of power, accountable collaboration, and respectful, respectful feedback. Mm. These are just a few. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Huh? It is a lot though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't but have to get it all at once. <laughs> But it is all integrated into our practice. I mean, that's really true. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they seem interwoven. I mean, that's one thing, like just in reading the list, I could go, oh yeah, that hooks up with this one. And and they're really a part of a package that becomes mm -hmm. almost like, you know, a web of values that mm -hmm. relate to each other, right. um, you know, that make up our practice. Okay. And I think about somebody who's listening and I think, oh, well, that might sound like, wow, that's too much. But it's really not quite that way. They're kind of, um, what do I want to say? They're, they're, you, you would slowly um, take them up or have mm -hmm. them impact your life. It's not like you have to like do this now. Right, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Gentleness is the first one, actually. Right. So. <laughs> Remember <laughs> that. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So we have time for you to read a little bit more, if you'd like, or discuss your choice. We do have a little bit more. We probably have about five more paragraphs. Okay, let's go for it. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Feminism didn't begin in the 1960s. There were many waves before this, such mm -hmm. as the suffragette movement, Less commonly known are the matriarchal societies that existed in the past. Archaeological digs reveal European matriarchal societies dominated over 5,000 years ago. Today, there are isolated pockets of matriarchal cultures that still exist around the world in China, Ghana, Costa Rica, Kenya, Indonesia, and India, in our sanghas. What might it be like to come into a sangha where matriarchal principles inform the meditative approach and the people who are practicing it? Mm. We're not drawing hard distinctions between the way men, women, and non-binary people are conditioned, nor suggesting that gender should be the dominant factor in our lives. We point meditators back to the dominant conditions in their own lives. What are they? Your skin color, your class, your abilities, your gender, your sexual orientation. What do you allow into your meditation? What do you pay attention to? What do you remember from your meditation? All of this is conditioned. We encounter innumerable influences not just gendered ones. Right. You know, I'm thinking my husband has some feministic qualities that I don't have. I always say, like, he cries at the movies I don't. <laughs> he, he's very compassionate. So it doesn't matter what gender you are. I think that's what you're getting at, too. There's a feminine side in men, mm -hmm. and it's a good thing. That's where their gentleness comes from, right? Am I correct? I think I'm going with the flow. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. and in this day, uh, people don't even want to be um, identified as a he or a she. Exactly. It's they're they're 
sort of breaking this down even further in my mind in a, in a good way. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. In Go ahead. Did you start a new paragraph? Go ahead. Yeah, it's my, I think it's my turn. Um, in, reflective, good. in reflective meditation, we practice receptive listening, learning to listen to our own inner voices while listening to others when they're speaking. We thread the needle between both. Why? Because we have been conditioned to respond to authority, often male authority, so thoroughly that at times we have not paid attention or even known what we are thinking and feeling. With receptive listening, we grow our capacity to listen to ourselves while listening to others. I like that. And I read that part of the book and I thought to myself, yes. And as a woman, because of this whole patriarchal type thing that I grew up in, I was already thinking about what I was going to say in rebuttal. And it was a type of emotional protection for me. But as I grew and changed my views, I learned that no, receptive listening means listen to what they say. Don't be thinking of your answer. I mean, that's how I take it. Is that kind of where you're talking? I think that's one angle on it that okay. you're not already kind of ahead in the conversation, you know, trying to, again, like you said, perform or mm -hmm. give the right answer. Um, but you're getting at the thing that that happens to a lot of us, which is that we're not listening to what we're we're thinking and feeling about what another person is saying. Oh, we're mm -hmm. so busy coming up with a response yes. or have the habit to do that. Mm -hmm. This receptive listening within the meditation practice is actually encouraging you to listen to yourself. Another uh, reason why we don't guide is because. Mm -hmm. You can't hear your own voice when somebody's guiding you. You're yeah. you're you're already in sync with them. That's right. You really start to untangle yourself from another and listen to your own thoughts and feelings and pay attention to what's going on with you. Very well put. Yes. So let me ask you to um Linda, you have an online meditation community. Yes. You still? You know, yeah, we both do really now. Since the pandemic, Nellie, you've gone online mostly too. Yeah, yeah, well, the pandemic did change a lot. <laughs> changed everybody's life. That's true. Right. Yeah. And we have more online lives now. Yeah. Yeah. Like right yeah. Now, for example. <laughs> yeah. So your sanghas, though, um, are they at certain times of day? Like we go to um, a website. How do we get into one of these sanghas? Yeah, you would go to reflectivemeditation.org. Okay. And you would see Nellie and I there, our pictures at least. Okay. Um, and we have a daily online meditation every day at 9 a.m. Oh, this is Anybody could drop in any time. Um, they, uh, we, you know, just, you could be voyeurs. I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean it in the positive sense of just checking it out. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to. It. Um, you can just see if how it feels if you know this is your cup of tea so yeah to speak. yeah well this has been very enlightening and um, inspirational for me because meditation has always been that one thing that I'm trying to conquer which is not a good way to look at it to begin with 
-hmm. but um, I have that monkey mind and I keep it busy a lot. And I think what I always did was try to avoid my feelings. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to feel the feelings. So I am going to read this book cover to cover and uh, be kind to myself and be patient with myself. And I want to thank both of you for coming. And again, um, the book is on Amazon, correct? Yeah. Yes. And let yes. me ask you, do you have it in Audible yet? Do not yet. We talked yet? about it and um, that may come to be, but um, it has not yet come to I be. I think this is a perfect book to be Audible. I really do. You know, just the fact that you have the conversations and the different tone of voice and the way you come at things. So let me know when you come out with the audio book, because I know a lot of people would be interested in that. So we're running out of time as usual, because we have such interesting people on this show. <laughs> well, you'll come back. This is your second time, and I'm hoping there's going to be a third. So thank you so much, Linda, and thank you so much, Nellie. And uh, I'm going to turn off all the sound of my house and lights and meditate now. <laughs> Excellent. And invite your monkeys in. They're welcome. And let my monkeys in. Just acknowledge them and let them go by. <laughs> or or you can engage with them either. You might want to play with them. them. I'll, play with, I'll play with this new approach to meditation. Thank you, ladies, again. Okay. Thank you so much.